Bonjour. This is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, here today with a very special guest. About six months ago, I got an email from an author in France who was doing research on the area, particularly Voorheesville, and wanted to know if I could help. And at the time, I thought it'd be great to do a podcast. I did not expect he would be showing up in person with his wife and along with someone familiar to our readers, Dennis Sullivan, who, of course, has written The Village History of Voorheesville. So welcome, Fabrice. Bonjour, Melissa. <laughs> Hello, you. everybody. I was working up to pronouncing your last name correctly, and I hesitated, but I'm going to do it. Li-wa. Oh. Lijoie. We have it now. Lijoie. Thank you, Fabrice. So, You're welcome, Melissa. I um, picked up Fabrice and Karine from Albany, where they were staying at a B&B. And on the drive out here, I asked a little about him, and we both became very emotional. I was in tears, actually, listening to the story of his grandmother who shaped him and raised him. And could you just tell us the story of your grandmother during World War II? Of course I do. Thank you. Um, I've been raised by um, what we call a lady, and she was my grandmother. Her first name was Janine, Janine Robert. This lady was, when I knew her, and I spent some time with her. Uh, she was speaking already five languages friendly. But when that, um, when did it come from? Um, my great great grandfather were poor people, and my great great grandfather was speaking already Russian and German. Did World War One, and has been saved by German soldier from the German army. Then my grandmother uh, was the only child of this family. And we were living in the middle of France in Clermont-Ferrand, uh, close to Vichy, where the collaborate uh, government from France was um, setting during World War II. My great-grandmother, Janine, had his um, uh, college degree in 1942. She was blonde hair, blue eyes, and she was speaking fluently German and Italian. And she looked like Marlene Dietrich. <laughs> and she was looking like <laughs> Marlene Dietrich. Uh, like the German soldier were calling her because when she was biking with her best friend, Made, uh, everybody was looking at her, the German, and were calling her Marlene Dietrich, Marlene Dietrich, and she was insulting them in German just because she was... Yeah, by yourself. Um, she, during that time, she met a lieutenant, a beautiful guy. That's, I heard about her story. A very smart guy. But he was also a lieutenant from the SS Gestapo. And that guy was, well, fell in love with my grandmother, who did not, because the Germans were the enemy. And also, there was a secret in with her best friend, Made. Made was Jewish, but considered as Catholic, and known as Catholic, but nobody except my grandmother knew that she was Jewish. Siegfried, after some time trying to date my grandmother, 
knew that something was going on with Maddie, and he was trying to go after her. During the year, on the late year of 1943 and the beginning of 1944, my grandmother had to do something. With Madé, they flew away from Clermont-Ferrand. But before that, she did what she had to do. Siegfried died. She actually killed him. Your yes. grandmother killed him with a knife. With a knife. With his knife. And because Siegfried was profoundly in love with my grandmother, he gave her a Mein Kampf book from Adolf Hitler, signed by him. So it was a way to go everywhere she could go. It was like her passport as exactly. she worked for the resistance. Exactly. She would use this copy of Mein Kampf. On Mein Kampf <laughs> saying, you know who I know? I know this guy. But, you know, at this time there were no real internet, no phone, no cellular. So when she was saying that... Who won't believe her because she was speaking fluently German and so beautiful she used it, her charm. She went to Paris and by the year 1945 she met plenty of American GIs and also she started, she started to, to work at the second bureau, the second office, which is kind of a secret service of the French military because she was liking a lot General de Gaulle, and um, she became lieutenant, because she could translate German and Italian notes like it was a piece of cake for her. Sorry for that expression. But. <laughs> no, that's a very good American expression, a piece of cake. Well, also, one of the things that struck me, you told me earlier today, was your grandmother had seen an American movie. She had seen Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind, exactly. And she had a sense of, from the GIs and from this movie that she liked America. She, she has never been in the United States. She sacrificed her, her life for me to permit me to come over here. And, um, but her love, she gave me her love to your country. All the Hollywood movies from the great years, uh, seeing every movie on Tuesday night in France on the second part of the, of the evening. You could see the, um, the movie in, um, with the real voice of the actors from Hollywood. So, I've been swimming in American culture since my childhood. Um, like, for example, going to see a Disney movie like uh, uh, Heaven Can Wait. This is my first movie that I recall with um, Warren Beatty. And, um, yeah, well, uh, tell us about that because I was fascinated how it inspired you to play American football. Uh, well, yeah, you know, you know, when you're a kid, you like knights, uh, soldiers, you like to, to fight with, uh, some sort of, of, of swords and, uh, shields. And when we went to see that movie, I saw the Los Angeles Rams for my first time, but I thought at that time, at eight years old, that it was some kind of knights. They were playing some kind of games, like the chivalry was, uh, uh, the knights were doing during that uh, middle age. So um, when we went outside from the theater, I told my grandmother that one day, I will be a knight like these guys. And at 17 years old, I started my career as a 
defensive end. I'm five feet eleven. I just precise my size. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when he I, first <laughs> told me this, I said, "But you're not a great big football player." He's a very fit-looking man, kind of dapper, goatee. But it's not like you look at him and say. Football. <laughs> yeah, but you know how to tackle someone when you have to do it, you do it. So if you have to come from the blind side to a quarterback, you have to do your two step forward, three step on the left, and uh, you come from the back side of, well, from the, um, from the blind side and you tackle him, you sack him. And that's what I was doing in my French club, well, f- French team, the Crazy Lions, Dynamique de Sèvres. How do you say it in French? The Crazy Lions? The Crazy Lions from the Dynamique de Sèvres. Oh, I like that. Well, so tell us a little about how you became a novelist. You've published one novel. Tell yeah, already. Us a, tell us about that one. Uh, I lost my grandmother when I was 22 years old. I lost my everything, my world, my friend, my love, my everything. Um, just a week before she died... And the way she raised me, she wanted me to come here, to live here, because here I would be happy. And I gave her my word. Six years after her death, I became um, a sports journalist for a French newspaper called L'Equipe. I've been blessed and honored to cross the path of great sports journalists such as uh, Paul Zimmerman, Dr. Z from Sports Illustrated, uh, Gordon Forbes from USA Today, Marc Dupuis, uh, sorry if I pronounce it not the right way, but, <laughs> and um, after that span, after four years uh, living in New York, um, I came back to, to France and five years ago, I decided, well, I've been pushed hard by my best friends that I know for the past 36 years who were pushing me hard saying, you, you have something. Remember your time when you were a sport journalist, how you wrote for the kids instead for the grown-ups. Even if I was covering every NBA games or NFL games, I was writing for the grown-ups, but I was also remembering the kid that I was or that I were. Uh, when I was a kid. When you were eight years old yeah. and you watched that movie and you and, thought of them as knights. Yeah, and <laughs> also uh, uh, being uh, grateful or, or blessed to receive every Wednesday the Tuesday issue from the USA Today International Issue. So I started five years ago to take that path to become a novelist. It's hard work. And my first book um, has won three prizes, well, two French prizes and a honorable mention from the New York Book Festival for a book written in French. Um, It's called Abby. Abby, my main character. What I've changed about my way of um, liking reading is instead of uh, following the path of two detectives, uh, a doctor, um, a private, a hero trying to catch up a serial killer. My hero is the reader. I ask my reader to meet my characters. And by your own feelings, your own experience, living experience, your own life, your own history, you are going to judge or 
to find out the truth of my novel. That's why, that's what it worked for Abby. And I hope for the next novel, but uh, I'm just halfway. So that brings us to your trip here yes. with your lovely wife. Um, you are somebody that really believes in hands-on research. And when I first picked up Fabrice and Karen at, at their um, lodgings, Fabrice was telling me, you know, he thought it would be flat in Albany. And here he saw hills and he wants to smell the air and feel what it's like. And then when we had lunch, he reaches into his satchel and he pulls out this antique button where he's actually um, going to be using that as part of his description. He finds actual objects and does research to make sure all of his facts are right. And over lunchtime, Dennis Sullivan called up Tim Albright, who is a local historian, as our listeners know, and he came over with his arrowheads that he had dug up on Indian Ladder Farm, and we all got to feel them and think about that history. So tell us about your novel as a waltz. I love the way you describe that. What do you mean? You were saying how your novel is like a waltz. It comes in three parts. Yes. It's like ah, a dance. The waltz. Okay. Yes. Imagine the same story. Um but which is going to happen three times in three different time space. The first time is 2017, starting on the 13th of April, 2017. Two characters, two detectives from the NYPD 10th precinct in New York. My main character, John D. Billy, is called upon a crime scene there, the lieutenant or the detective is asking him if he is the real John D. Billy. There is a body, smoked body, and the detective is saying, there is a postcard for you. John D. Billy, signed by the kid, the tulip kid. The next scene, I can, as I can say, the next step of the waltz is we will be in 1973 in Voresville uh, area. The main part, well, the main link between the two chapters is my two first characters have blue eyes and the character that you will discover in 1973 will have blue eyes as well. And then, next step, next step, the third, we will be in 17th century with a blue-eyed kid called the Tulip Kid. What is the link? What is the story? You, readers, will discover the truth. It's so tantalizing. So tell us about why you chose Voorheesville. I mean, here you are sitting in France, and we're across the ocean in a little teeny place. Why Voorheesville? Oh, our Many routes for that. Um, the first one is to pay a tribute to my grandmother. Uh, as I told you, she raised me. And during a lifetime, after General de Gaulle uh, resigned in 1948 in France from the government, she was so upset about France um, leaving uh, General de Gaulle, uh, seeing him going away. She decided to move to Holland. And she worked there as a secretary 
from the head director of Philips Company, uh, stating in Heindhoven, close to Schreffening, uh, Schreffeningen, uh, on the west side, uh, close to Amsterdam and The Hague. She told me that it was her best years in her lifetime. That's my tribute to her, part one. The second part is because we are going to talk about um, my novels. They all have a link. You know that Halloween is for the kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, kid uh, trick or treats. But there are no stories for grown-ups. I don't say that in my book there is any horror or fantastic. No, there, you won't find any kind of thing. I said that you are my my cop, my detective in my book, my detective in my novel. And um, Halloween, you may have heard about Halloween the 13th. And the serial killer, his name is Jason Voorhees. In Dutch, Vorhin, V-O-O-R-H-E-E-N, means formally. Formally, in the 17th century, we had what here? Dutch people. My tribute, my link between my grandmother, my story, and some kind of Jason Voorhees. I, Voorheesville was meant to be. It, I, I, you know, I can't say anything else. But that's very, that's very plain. That's very simple as that. Now, one of the things that you were discussing earlier in the day with me, and I just loved it, is a, a theme in your book. If you could tell us a little about this, the idea of, um, society or particular cultures passing on their prejudices, this idea, um, and you yourself, you said, suffered as a child. Mm. And um, just tell us a little about how your novel addresses those themes. Okay, so my, my main project is to work on 12 books like Hercules or Rabelais. It's a philosophical uh, point of view on my book, on the third readings. The first time that you read my book, you will discover the story. Many items that I've put it, that I've put into it. On the second time that you are going to read it, you are going to discover some part of the items that I've put into it and you will see, wow, what a work. And on the third side, the third reading, it's a pamphlet, a treaty, a philosophical treaty. On my first novel, I was, um, I was wondering why people act as coward, forgot, throughout their ages. Why uh, they act as, I missed the word, cowards? Why they cowards, act as cowards? Yes, okay. cowards. Like when you are a kid, when you are a teenager, a grown-up, and an elder. And I was wondering, because as you said, um, my grandmother raised me for something. Um, my mom was not a real mom, um, like we say. She was um, alcoholic, drug addict, and she was beating me off. Uh, well, she was beating me a lot. And my grandmother was my own human shield. Um, my mom tried to kill me three times when I was a kid. And we lived in the shame. Uh, we were sh ashamed about us. But also, um, fast in my life, I've seen that in France... Uh, people were looking at my faces with hit um, marks. 
nobody did something to help us out. And I'm still um, recovering from it in some in some part because yeah, I'm not that by could my take a lifetime to recover from if you ever did. Yes. And also I've seen that with Abby on my first novel, which is talking about the abuse that we do on child sometimes. Um, I was not alone. Many readers came back to me and said, thank you. Because you put words, well, you said you wrote it without writing it. I'm not describing torture, child abuse in my books specifically. I just, my character is just saying, you know what's going on, don't you? And you, by your own experience, you can imagine what's going on. And that's how I write. I don't want to hurt anybody. I just want you to feel what it is to be alone in the dark. So the idea is to enlighten the readers yes. to the experience. Yes. And then you were also saying about how um, prejudice gets passed on from one generation to the next. And just talk to us a little about yeah. that and, and how we can interrupt that. Well, on my next novel, I'm wondering why we are still hating each other. Hating because I'm not from the same color, not the same sex uh, gender. And um, I was wondering, and um, a genealogy um, uh, study, I've shown that we repeat the same thing. We pass the torch from generation to another. It means that uh, I, I'm not here to judge anyone. That's I'm, I'm making up a story. But imagine that a guy who is hating others in the 17th century and giving the torch to the next generation, which is going to pass the torch, etc., etc., until now. Will they still hate? Yes, unfortunately. Unfortunately, that's all I say that the history repeats itself throughout uh, the centuries. We know what happened in, in, during World War II. We know it. We have learned it. But I don't see improvements. I see hate again. Why? So it means that we have, um, uh, we celebrate our heroes because these people who saved our lives are heroes, right? But by today, we are still hating each other. We are in the 21st century now. 21st century. I think we have to move a little bit, no? We are smart. And if you are smart, you are not here to uh, force others to follow your path. You are here to make others better and to think better. That's what I'm trying to do at my level. <laughs> well, you've taken on a big task. It seems to me in some ways we're getting more tribal than we were. Mm. And certainly there are a lot of novelists shaped as you were through another generation by World War II. Mm. But what has led you to go back so far to the 1700s, 17th century, actually, mm. 1600s? Um, that's 
that's going <laughs> very, very deep into an, an American past. Um, what is it you're finding there that, that furthers this philosophy that you have? I noticed you at lunch were mentioning um, the tribal warfare that mm-hmm. was going on at that mm-hmm. time and how you put a love story in the middle of that, mm-hmm. which seems to speak exactly to what you were just saying, um, you know, this hate that it seems almost perpetual and what happens <laughs> when you, you put a love story in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, I followed uh, the master, um, the writing master that we all know, Stephen King. One of, us, one of his advice is if you want your story to work, you have to go to the Genesis. The Genesis was the 17th century. To make it right, you had to go back in the past to make sure that every uh, items of my recipe will would work uh, in 1973 or, uh, or in 2017 because there is always a Genesis, even in the eight even in the love, everybody, everywhere. So that's where I used, I'm using only Stephen King advice. Mm-hmm. The, who told that uh, his secret is when you can work on your story and going back um, in the past, at the beginning, it will work. And tell us a little about your writing technique. Um, I know Karen was saying you'll even write on napkins. Or how how do ideas come to you, and what what is your your sort of method for writing? Oh well, um, um, he's going to appear because I'm going to talk about him. Um, there is a writer in France. Who, first of all, on my first draft on Abbey uh, Thierry. Um, Hi. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he told me that I had um, uh, visions. And um, so it's like, you know, uh, I stand still. I see a scene in my mind. I got a piece of paper, whatever, tissue, um, post-it, hand, and I write some words. Like literally on your hand. Yeah. Just to remind you of this vision, this thought remi- that yeah, came to the, you. The, yeah. The, the, mind, yeah, the scene that came to my mind, I write some words. It can be read, uh, read the newspaper, uh, um, smile, and I leave it. Three days after that, welcome to the jungle. It's now <laughs> what I wanted to say with three words. And I work on my memory to uh, go back to that famous scene who came to me and he, and it's like having a camera on my shoulder and I come from a different angle and suddenly I go to work on a paper, a piece of paper. I write one, two, three pages. I put it on the side for some days, then go to the computer, work on the, work on it for three, four, five days and, um, maybe rewriting 20 times a, a scene, a chapter. Sometimes it happens. And the slowest I am, the better I am because I have too much in my mind sometimes. And you said you do a lot of rewriting. Yes, 20 times sometimes. Yeah, that's amazing. So do you plot out an entire book when you're starting or do these visions kind of shape? You you clearly have the three different time periods in mind, but um, do you have a like a narrative sketched out 
as as you begin, or does it kind of evolve as you're having these visions and and writing? Alors, the details evolve, but at first, the main idea is here. The main idea, then the skeleton. I got a skeleton. The anatomy of my of my novel is here. Then I I will put the muscles, the nerves, the skin. All the things. You put flesh on the yeah, bones. flesh on the bones. Exactly. But at first, I got everything. My story, The Waltz, was there on the first minute. It was one of your visions. Because I said, one, two, three. One, one two, two, three. three. I love and it. And suddenly, I said, I was thinking, music came to my mind. The waltz that I was listening with my grandmother, for example, uh, waltz from... Uh, Österreich, Austria, uh, you know, on the 1st of January, you got a waltz in a um, palace in Austria, in Vienna, the, the waltz from Vienna, uh, maybe you have heard about it, in Austria, Austria, close to Germany. I didn't and, know that, yeah. And you have on the 1st of, um, the 1st of January, you have waltz on television, and I was watching it with her. Suddenly, it came to me. I had the music the sonority of the of the novel and i said okay from where and i said schreffening for her and schreffening so i started to read history books about the 17th century and i wrote straightforward my first chapter from that span from that time span uh time lapse and time period it's way much better and um suddenly i had my main character i had my tulip kid I had his blue eyes. I had the way he was looking at people. Neat. So, uh, you you said you're not wealthy. It took you months to save up for this trip. Yes. What, why is this so important in your life? Why is it that you you put so much into this? Because this is what I, I am meant to do. Because... I don't ask to be rich. I don't ask to be famous. I just want to make people think happy about my readings. Um, and I think that's all. That's my way of working a novel. Um, to come here, for example, to see by myself, to breathe here, to be unblessed. And honored to meet so many people. I will have plenty of stories to tell my grand grandson if I can live to that, if I can, if I'm blessed to meet them. Or as I told you, when I will be back in France and my book will be published, um, I will have, I will be blessed to, to meet students, teenagers who may have dreams. And I will see it in their eyes. And I will share that when you have a dream, go for it. J.J. Watt said better yesterday on television, by the way. So I'm just copying him. No, that's the way I live. So who should read your book? Who, who, should this, who would this speak to? Anybody, but first a human being. Well, that's if, pretty broad. <laughs> yeah, but in there, well, no teenagers. No, 
when um, when a young student, when a young teenager wants wants to buy my book, I say no. Why? Life experience. Because my book, as I told you, is I trust your history, your own history, your own way of feeling, uh, uh, to, your own way of yeah, feeling, um, your life experience. And when you are, what, 15, 14, 15 years old, you don't have that much experience. So you don't want to be somebody shaping a 14-year-old. You want to have somebody with life experience that brings that experience to your words and interacts with them that way. Exactly. And that leads to a wonderful story, if you don't mind sharing it, about how you and Karine got together. Um, do, do you mean, do you mean our, the, the way we meet? Well, not the, the initial <laughs> meeting, but that she read, didn't you say that oh. she had read your book? Okay, and that, so Karine and myself, we know each other for the past 30 years. Sorry. Um, and um, <laughs> 30 years ago, uh, I knew better her sister. Audrey, Karen was a pain. She was mean. She was teasing me all the time. And, and I said that it was my fault. she's laughing now and, as and she and hears uh, this and, and blushing and a little too. <laughs> and I would say that I was doing the same. We didn't like each other at this time. Three years ago, um, that lady won my book in the lottery. She read the book, A.B., and at the end of A.B., I ask any of my readers to come back to me because my main character has a final question to ask to any readers. That's between the reader and my main character, not me. So that girl with a strange gamma tag, nearly close, uh, I am a pain, so you see the, the 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 profile. She came back to me and said, "Yeah, so you asked your reader to come back to you. Yeah, okay. Uh, so what is the question? I asked the question. She answered, and suddenly she was different from other readers. She started to talk to me, like, okay, uh, why are you why are you writing novels? Your novel is." Great. Uh, well, where does it come from? Blah, blah, blah. And she didn't know it was you. No, because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because you can have more uh, Fabrice Liégeois in France. Uh, I think we have uh, four, actually, at the same time span, a time period. And um, so suddenly she said, yeah, but where you were living in France, uh, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, I'm from the southeast of France. And she said, oh, my sister knows pretty well that part of France. Oh, yeah. What's your sister's first name? You know, maybe I know her. Yeah, you know, only mountains don't meet each other. And that's not true in human history. So she said, Audrey. And suddenly I changed my voice to say, who are you? She said, I'm Karen. I hate you. The first thing that I told her after 30 years is, I hate you. And um and we meet and um and that's all. And life. the rest is a love yeah. story. <laughs> well, that's a great ending anecdote. We're out of time already, but do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Any words of wisdom to leave us with? Live your life because you only live once and be happy with others. Make everybody around yourself better. That's what I'm doing. And that's the people 
provide me throughout my life, like you, Melissa. And I thank you to welcome me, uh, my, Karen, and myself here because hi, it's, it was awesome today. It was a day to remember, as we say in the United States. Yes, it was a great day, and thank you.